Hey everybody, good evening, good morning, good day, a uh, good moment, that'll cover it, because that's uh, really all there is, as some know, it's one never-ending moment, is it ever going to end, is it ever going to feel good, for no reason, hey, that's why I'm here, to remind you that it is, that it can, and that you have much more control over that than um, you've been shown. And one of the tools that has been spoken of for eons, for thousands of years actually, that I'm going to tell you you don't have to do, is meditation. By going a little bit in depth as to what it is, how it um, can help, how it's a tool, and a process. But perhaps there's a deeper layer to living that doesn't require it that transcends it because everything I'm talking about and trying to inspire you to go inside of yourself and know is exactly that. The feeling of being beyond having to think about it. Thought can be there, but knowing that you're okay without it is the gig. That's where the good stuff is. We can take this big powerful mind of ours, put it to use, and also know when to put it to rest. It's just like working out a muscle in your body. If you want bigger biceps, you're not going to work it out 24 hours a day and then have it so out of control while you try to sleep that it's on autopilot, still doing something. It's a good analogy. It doesn't quite go far enough because our mind, unfortunately, is its own energy. And given the impetus of forward motion of thought by us, whether consciously or unconsciously, can keep going at night, keep us up, affect our dreams, affect our sleep, ironically not figure anything out, affect our restfulness and our conscious awareness the next day in which it's still just as hard if not harder to think straight about the problems and the challenges in our human life that we um, want to figure out. So. Let me tell you a little bit about my overall state of being now as compared to before and how it's been along the way because it's uh, been very interesting and one of the tethers I've got to knowing how to be fully present is that there were only a couple moments in my life where I truly lost touch of that and um, had thoughts that were very much beyond my control. And that's a big part of the story, too, because I understand how that happened and how it could never happen again. But this whole journey starts off with Steve being a very quiet and calm child, born into the world um, six, seven years after a brother and a sister, and spending a lot of quiet time at home with my mother during early childhood, which, from all memories that I have, which don't go back that early, and what I've been told, we're just fine. And that's kind of the way it should be. We should be raised in comfort, security, um, whether or not we're completely loved and doted on and, and optimally fed and all that stuff is a whole other discussion. But within the context of how I was brought up, everything was, was pretty good. Everything was quite fine. And so I think that I had that big picture awareness from a young age. And the ability to just sit and watch the world go by and ponder it. 
because that's what I'm going to get to here eventually is contemplating, pondering, as opposed to thinking, meditating, focused thought. They all have their place, and that's what I'd like to actually point out so that you can know which applies to you, which one would be the most beneficial, and which ones might actually get in the way of you coming to terms with yourself, because that's what this is all about. Now, fast forward to 1997, a formative year in my life where I met someone and began going down the rabbit hole of philosophies and religions, none of which to look for an answer to, to follow um, a set of rules or disciplines set out. I was never going to go down any of those roads, and I never have in my life. It's much. It's been much more about just life itself, dealing directly with it, beyond labels and systems and structures, which is, again, part of what helped me break through all of those systems and structures in 2014. But in 1997, I started reading. I started reading The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, Be Here Now, Ram Das. Other Middle Eastern and Eastern texts, mostly from uh, India, Egypt, Ancient Wisdom, The Emerald Tablets. What else? The Theosophists. So the beginnings of Western spiritual philosophy as married with Eastern, because it was late 19th century, early 20th century, that Eastern philosophy started to be introduced to Western philosophy. We've got people like Krishnamurti, Paramahansa Yogananda, all talking about the same thing in the end, all coming with some systems and structures, but the ones who understood talking about breaking through the systems and structures and just getting to the the beingness of everything, of who you are within everything else being around you. Boom. That's home base right there. Now fast forward to 2014, that fateful night where I had done years of work leading up to letting go of the connection to, the tether to, the self-conscious mind and the compartmentalized ego having to be on, having to know, having to have an opinion about the world around, and sinking into a deep peace, a meditative state while awake. And I realized in the weeks following, I was so beside myself in a way. It wasn't an out-of-body experience, but I was kind of watching myself because there was no thoughts in my head, whereas previously... It was thoughts in my head kind of directing traffic and setting forth some of my identity because the mind was engaged my whole life, or almost my whole life. There's always glimpses, which I'll, I'll let you know we all have. But it was engaged enough that it seemed like the, the viewing lens, the filter through which I had to make my decisions, had to make my choices. Of course, with all of that being interconnected to the thought systems of life itself all around. But on that day, that all let go. And for weeks after, I walked around, as I was just saying, kind of beside myself. Because there was no thoughts. There was just direct observation and feeling. 
Every breath was the breath of fresh air. There was literally a sparkle in the air as I looked at things. I couldn't look at something without kind of seeing the air between shimmering just the slightest bit, which it actually is doing. The air is moving all the time, ever so slightly, vibrating. And that's not esoteric or anything. It's just, it is what it is. It didn't distract me or anything. It was just like a little bit of clarity. A little thing, everything came into focus just a little bit more because my senses were actually able to perceive because there was no thought in the way dumbing it down. Because that's what thought can do. It doesn't have to. I'm not demonizing the mind, the mind here in any capacity, just explaining how it works so that we can see where we find ourselves in it and at what point the mind is useful, at what point it's useless, and at what point it's just on autopilot for no good reason. But I walked around in a very light state of being, just being in the world. And I was giddy, and I would think about, you know, Steve and Steve in the world, how Steve had coped before, and how utterly ridiculous a concept it actually was that there was a Steve who carried all these thoughts in his head that made him worry, made him think about himself in terms of what makes you successful, what makes you happy, what makes you good, what makes you responsible. And those are all things to talk about that I will be talking about because I'm going to be here talking for years and years very likely with you guys and girls and people so the clarity that i felt was simply a meditative state and that's the main point that i want to talk to regarding thought and becoming um, calm within your thoughts or beyond your thoughts because i I was so dumbfounded by the thought that I had to think about being myself previously because that's the only context I had was how is this self that's named Steve going to function in the world? Well, Steve is a worker, so he does this. He's in a relationship, so he does this. He's a human being, so he should act this way. He's vegan, so he should eat this way. You know, like, it seemed amazing to me that even though it works doing that, I didn't know I had an option to not do it. And for weeks afterward, I wrote about, some of it was, was posted and will be in books coming out, about how utterly amazing it is that we're here as human beings, just like every other life form, to be ourselves. And yet we're the only species, for my reckoning, that has the capacity to think so much that we get lost in knowing that we get disconnected from knowing that in a very fundamental way because if you're thinking and your thinking is not 100 percent aligned with your being and then you're doing when you take action then there's resistance and that resistance always interrupts your feeling of being that's just the way it is that's how we work and i couldn't shake the thought like how utterly ridiculous the grand cosmic joke if there's a if there is a, a God, and again, I don't believe or not believe, it's in, I'm actually indifferent to the whole idea because it doesn't matter in the practical being here and now. And that's no dismissal of words, of religious systems, of spiritualism. It's just inclusive of it without having to label it. But if there's a God and there's this grand cosmic joke, 
And if we were made in the image of God, the way I look at it now is, well, this God must have had one hell of an ego to put us here on this earth, set us up for this thing called life, and then crank up the self-consciousness within our mind to the point where our mind creates an ego identity for each of us, ourselves, and disconnects us from feeling fully alive. What the hell? That's not very nice. So we are here as humans to just be here. We can do everything we've done. We've built this huge system of societies and people. We live everywhere on this planet. We travel everywhere. We eat a variety of diets. We consume a variety of things. We've recombined nature in endless ways. And we even venture into space as if there are some answers out there. We've created money to facilitate all this happening under which we, some people, control other people and the flow of these resources and the management of cities and lifestyles. You know, it's actually all a little bit insane because it, it, it just is. It all gets in the way of a purposeful feeling of being for no reason. The who that, the you that you're here to be, the who that you're here to be doesn't have anything to do particularly with thinking, with being materially successful other than just having food and shelter being is about feeling it's about being alive it's about being supported it's about being connected it's about expressing and having that expression played with or respected or trusted it's about knowing when you hurt someone else that is your own pain so you innately don't want to do it life is is about that beyond survival mode it's about enjoying this experience. And yet we have the one thing that can take away from that enjoyment on a consistent basis and add to it here and there. Because our mind can, you know, be very helpful. It can solve a problem. It can come up with an answer. It can recognize something. It can, through our imagination and our creativity, put together things. And then we get a sense of accomplishment. That feels good. In a negative way, some people have thoughts that create systems and structures that have power and control over other people, and that leads to a feeling. For whatever reason, those people feel good about themselves for controlling others. It's not helpful in the end. It's not often very good, honestly. But this is how we work. And yet, it's a little bit insane. Because why? It's not aligned it's not meditative we aren't each being ourselves at a foundational level and the mind is accountable the only thing is is that over time it's become so conditioned in us that we have a subconscious ego individuated sense of self that's become very very important self-important because it's the ego that thinks it's important Consciousness itself knows you're important. You're allowed to be here. You're allowed to defend your life. You're allowed to fight for food, for freedom of expression. That's natural to any life form anywhere. They all have the right to do this. That's why even, you know, when I did become vegan all those years ago, 97, people would, you know, talk about well what about nature you know animals they hurt each other and I'm like yeah but they're trying to survive that's kind of how it works I don't have any attachment to feeling good or bad about that it is what it is because this whole system's been designed that way and I accept that fully that consciousness in form has a prime 
directive to remain in form. So stay alive, defend yourself. And all life exhibits that. It moves away from danger and towards growth. Most life forms have, have an environment they live in, and it works. Humans may have evolved in uh, and from a certain environment which had obvious advantages without having to do anything, but again, as I've described before, something had to have happened in our distant past to click our mind into action to save us from either the environment around changing too quickly or to save us from ourselves becoming whatever it could be, more populous, more aggressive, more competitive for resources. Whatever it is, it was obviously valid because it happened. And we have this self-conscious mind. We have an ego. We have, you know, that individuated sense of self that puts us above others in the realm of ideas as opposed to in the realm of actual survival, fight or flight. And you know this is true because we go all around the world now under the guise of success and ideas, philosophies, religions, political systems, killing and killing each other because we think our idea is right or better. Not always. Nothing is absolute, but there's a big not always on that one. And again, it all comes back to if we were calm within our individual self, if we were each living a meditative life, which I'll describe in a moment, if we were doing that, do you think there'd be as much lashing out in the world as there is now just over ideas? Look at how upset people are getting these days over words and attaching those words to things called identities when really underneath it all, everyone just wants to be valued. Everyone wants to be loved for who they are. Trouble is in the world of ideas, you can't get to that feeling of who you are if you're going to filter it mostly through the mind, through ideas. And again, that's just the way it is. I've been watching this my whole life. I watched it within myself. I watched my sense of self diminish when I became shy, debilitatingly shy for all those years. I watched myself, a deeper sense of myself, challenge that shy idea, that shy young man, and say, no, I can't live with this. That's not good enough. I enjoy life and being around people. This is limiting. And so I challenged it. I practiced not being shy, which really just meant I practiced allowing myself to be myself. And that was the first big step back because I had not become fully disconnected and bought into the fact that I was shy and it had to be this way and the world's systems are exactly the way they are and I can't do anything about it. And I remember having a sense of inner peace and calm at knowing that. Now believe me, it wasn't consistent for a very long time. It took many more years, more work, and letting go of more thoughts about who I am and the way I should be to actually become a meditative being, only fully realized in 2014. And so what does that mean? Well, Lao Tzu, in uh, an excellent book called the Hua Hu Ching, which is apparently a supplement to the uh, Tao Te Ching, another 81 verses that is lesser known, but I find even more profound in its first few chapters, talks a lot about something called the integral being integrated being, integral living. And what does that mean? Well, it's pretty much the same thing as what I'm talking about, meditative living, being yourself. Being yourself should not be an idea. 
That's the starting point. You shouldn't need a piece of paper and a checklist to write down who you are so you can remember or know who you are. I certainly don't. After 2014, and in a very real and practical way, I know who I am. I know who Steve is. They're 99.999% the same thing because I fully accept that the label is great for this lifetime. It helps us talk to each other. It helps us communicate. You know, it's just fine. I know it's a label. And I know who I am beyond that. Because I know what I am beyond that. I'm an integral being. Living an integrated life. A meditative life. So when Lao Tzu talked about that, he meant taking the three levels of being, the three layers of being, spirit, body, the physical form, and mind, the energy that manages the first two in between as a layer as such in between the two. When those are aligned, you feel fine. You feel good. You feel joy. You feel elevated. That's what this enlightened word really points to. That's exactly what my good old friend Siddhartha experienced under the Bodhi tree. He sat there until he reconciled that he didn't need to do anything more to know. You see? That's what happened to me during the, the bare contemplation in 2014, where over the course of about half an hour, I completely let go of being identified with having to think and label and know a damn thing in order to be and give myself permission to be. I understand exactly how Buddha felt, 100%, because I'm human. I take it that Siddhartha was human as well. And while I'm talking about him, because I'll be using him as an example, along with a lot of others that uh, have been speaking about the same things along the way, I'll give you, I'll, I'll let you know exactly how the ego works. Because as soon as, as soon as Sid came to his awakening, which was again just seeing reality 100% without any filters, they say that for months after he walked around, he hung around the area, he was living a simple life, and he was. Wondering, how do I tell people this? They're going to think I'm crazy because you can't just walk around telling people, oh, by the way, did you know you can turn your mind off? You don't have to use it. You know, reality is right in front of you and within you at all times, and that's a universal truth because no one's doing it. The human species has been conditioned to thinking patterns for a very long time. So, of course, it does seem like it can't be a good thing, the right thing, if it's the odd thing and he was the only one doing it on a constant and consistent basis but he was that's exactly what happened and after a while he realized he just has to live it and that's the biggest teaching and enjoy it for himself because everyone has that right to be who they are to know it to live it to express it to share it to enjoy it And in that week after I came to my full senses in 2014, created illuminating the disconnect to point out how we even become disconnected from that full integrated sense of self, it kept dawning on me that I had never really meditated very often 
I can count the number of times I actually went to meditation classes, went to a group, did a short quiet meditation on my own. You know, if if I meditated 40 or 50 times in the last 25 years, that's probably fairly accurate. It doesn't really matter to me here and there because I realized that I've been a fairly calm and contemplative being most of my life and that that was a darn good start. I couldn't just, you know, transcend my mind at any given time before 2014, but I could certainly quiet it down. And I realized every time it's quiet is when I'm not having to think because I know what I'm doing and I trust myself, whether it's work, whether it's playing a game. And I realized when I'm lost in something, doing something, enjoying it, you know, playing in a band, singing along with a song, there's an elevated feeling because again, by default, I'm not thinking because I'm doing and, and it's all aligned. Again, integrated being, being meditative. These are all the same things. So to that end, one of the first few books is going to be called Living a Meditative Life. And honestly, the subtitle is just Being You. In reality. Doesn't mean you have to like the world around you, but the best starting point to deal with it is to, one, be yourself within it, fully be yourself, accept everything you've ever done, change the things you don't want to be or think, look at the way you act and take responsibility for it, and then look at the world and live within it the way you can choose to. I live a very different version of the world than a lot of people I know, but we're all in the same world, even people in the same society. I live a very different lifestyle than my landlords upstairs because the way I choose to live means something to me from the level of uh, being that I feel at the moment and probably will feel for the rest of my life. Other people, they can do what they want. Generally speaking, I give people that respect because I want that respect. be a nice world if we all just did that. (laughs) And so, if you want a bit of reflection on this, I do recommend looking for and reading the Hua Hu Ching. And doing some meditation to see if it's for you. Because... Again, I guess I'm not finished here. I thought I was wrapping things up, but meditation, I think the reason it really never resonated for me was because I was already a fairly calm being before, during, and after. The thing I wasn't doing was learning to quiet my mind on a consistent basis, even in meditation. And so I thought I wasn't doing it right. I thought I wasn't being successful. And, you know, in some avenues, in some ways, it's true. I wasn't giving myself over to it fully. My mind was was doing what our minds do. And I didn't know how to control it, so I kind of just didn't try all that often or anymore. But luckily, or maybe even skillfully, over the years, I did learn to actually align my entire life, story, my ethic, the way I live, what I eat, what I consume, with who I feel I am, most responsibly on this earth. And so that was honing me to being integrated with my energies within myself and thus being meditative without having to meditate to calm down. Because I was never that fretful a person that I was like, wow, I've had a bad week. I have to go to meditation class for an hour of peace on Friday. You know what I mean? Never, never needed it in that aspect. 
what I needed more was just to take deep breaths and calm down sometimes when my thoughts would be spiraling out of control because I had too much on my plate and I got overwhelmed by making choices, as we all do. And in that aspect, meditation helps. Contemplation helps. Just taking some deep breaths helps. And that's another thing I've done for a very long time is deep breathing and nasal breathing because that automatically makes you slow down. Very hard to hyperventilate breathing through your nose. Trust me. All tools, all ways of getting there. But as I was getting to a second ago, meditation came about as a practice thousands of years ago because someone recognized that we think too much and that doesn't always help. And so how do you go about slowing down your thinking? Well, give yourself less to think about. How do you give yourself less to think about? Have less distractions. How do you have less distractions? Sit in a room, an empty room, and breathe. That's why meditation and meditation practices, which are like that, or which have a focus, one simple focus, such as follow your breath, look at the candle, think or say a mantra, oh. There's an innate calmness to them because there's only one thing going on. And if we can align our mind to the one thing going on, then we're calm. Calmer. Now, here's the next step. Being yourself is that one thing underneath everything else that you can know, that you can be at all times, so that you can know that calm no matter what's happening in your mind. Your mind can be thinking something and underneath it you can be watching your mind completely calm and thus in a position of power to look at what's in your mind and go, oh, huh, that's an interesting thought, don't need that. Oh, that's an interesting thought, but I'd like to change it, let's add this to it and let's make a decision about it. And that's where being meditative Knowing how you work as a being and working with it and watching your mind as opposed to just letting it happen puts you in a position of being calm no matter what underneath what's happening. And the more you practice watching your mind, responding to it decisively or not responding at all and thus letting it go, the less the mind suggests because there is nothing to suggest because there's no one listening. Again, remember that our mind arose a long time ago to solve a problem. It arose in a, in, a, in a pinch because we had to figure our way out of something. Of that I'm convinced. What the situation was, I don't know. It doesn't actually matter. It really doesn't. But the key point is that it arose for a reason, to help. So now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, think about yourself and the things that are in your mind. And yet give yourself permission to be bigger than those thoughts and ask, haha, how's that helping? What am I doing about it right now? And learn to be decisive. Decisive in either thinking and then ending thinking with a course of action or by saying, oh, doesn't matter, done, and letting it go. Or giving yourself permission to stop thinking. Take some breaths and calm down before bed at night. 
go through the thoughts of the day once, write them out if you need to, and then put them to bed, literally, because you need to sleep and your body needs to regenerate and heal and be ready tomorrow. This is what all the practice of getting towards a meditative state of being that I'm talking about are and are useful for. It's for feeling good. Again, right back to the first episode, what are we here for? We are feeling beings. What is in the way of feeling? It can be thought a lot of the time. Our thoughts either lead to feelings or they get in the way of feelings, one or the other. Because when we're busy in our mind, we just don't quite have our senses fully on. And if you're here to feel, and especially feel like who you are, reducing resistance is the way there. Being yourself is the full way there. And there's no reason why you can't do it right now. There's no reason. Now, I know the mechanism of what's getting in the way. What resistance are you having? Well, if it's the big picture resistance, and I'm going to have an episode talking about that, existential crises, are you being who you feel you are here to be? Period. That's between you and you and life. You and you and the universe. You and your God. Whatever it may be. If you aren't, there's resistance. If there's pain in your physical body, there's resistance. That one doesn't have to keep you from being feeling completely at peace existentially, but it can be a challenge. And then there's the mind. How engaged is your mind in constantly focusing outside and looking at the world as a series of things to do, problems to be solved, as opposed to you watching your mind think in order to actually solve problems here and now that will affect who you are so that you are even better off in a future that you do or don't plan. You see? Because no matter what, you're going to be there. As long as you're alive, you are your future. So why not be the most peaceful, calm, supportive person for yourself that you can trust implicitly because you know who you are? That sets your moral compass. That sets how you relate to the world, to others around you. And honestly, it makes people better to be around. My favorite people are people that have a general sense of calm, a general sense of self-confidence that's authentic without trying to prove anything or get anything from it, but just showing up. And man, I've contemplated a world where the vast majority of us are doing that and my whole being trembles at the thought of that because it would just be so incredible to get along allowing each other to be each other, knowing no one actually wants to get in anyone else's way on purpose because we don't want anything from each other. We want everything for each other. That's the paradigm shift that will happen in humanity at some point. And it's going to start with transcending, having to be in our minds in order to live and to experience this world whether it's the one that's already here or the one that we're, we're evolving to creating with our mind because there's already a path that we're going down that's going to be probably even more challenging than it is right now with more information, with more choices, and yet none of those choices are fundamentally, existentially, and practically about who you are here. You could have been born at any time. You are who you are. And as a human, you are what you are. Which is why 
what I'm talking about here, is universal, can be applied, can be a thought of by anyone. Siddhartha was special in his time and would be still special now. Ah, but as I was saying before and got sidetracked on, what happened after his awakening was he went out in the world and then all the people around heard the message and the ego within those people labeled him the Buddha, which is what the mind does. You see, the mind labels things in a divisive way, as if there's only one of this, one of that, one of this, one of that, one of that, because that way it can catalog everything as information and compare it and constantly be thinking. <laughs> Siddhartha wasn't the Buddha, he was a Buddha, one, one of many. There have been a lot of Buddhas walking the world. Everyone's been a Buddha at some point in their life. Most people are born into the life as a Buddha, as an aware, awake being. It just gets covered up. We make a lot out of it, and I'm here to tell you exactly that. We make way too much out of awakening, and we also make way too much out of the power of the human mind being the epitome of intelligence in the universe. If that was true, every single human being on the planet would be happy, healthy, fully fed, clothed, sheltered, housed, and respected for who they are. But the mind doesn't know that because the mind cannot know who you are as a feeling. It can only know who you are as information. It's up to you to do the work. The work of being human. You were born here as a feeling. And I hope this inspires you to do the work to relax into getting past thought and knowing who you are without having to think about it. Because trust me, it feels great. Friends, if you'd like to support the podcast and support this guy, Steve Alat, in doing this full-time, it doesn't take much. Steve is here just to do this, primarily, and also just to eat, sleep, and interact with the other humans and other life on a day-to-day -day basis. I want nothing from this life that I don't have right now. And so any money I get in excess of that will always go back into helping in whatever way I'm able to contribute. And you can contribute to an account that I have set up at LibraPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, under the name Steve Alat, capital S-T-V-E, capital A-L-L-A-T. Or you can also find me on PayPal under my email address, steve at illuminatingthedisconnected.com. And it's Stripe, using the same email. If you have any questions, send me an email, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. I would love to hear from you and uh, respond in kind. Take care.